Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. And God caught on gothic ceilings, the most ornate in the world. What a sight, what a privilege to feel those heights. But my prayer stayed up there spinning. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind always comes at the most frightening time to make sure you won't forget. Today on the Stories We Don't Tell podcast, we have a story by Tara Pearson, followed by a conversation with Tara Pearson. It hadn't rained there in three years. I was living in a desert, just east of the Red Mountains. I was getting used to how hot it was, getting used to starting work at 5 a.m. and going for long runs far after dark as to not overheat. And I was even getting used to that chronic dehydration that seemed to me and I would never have to pee again. But I never got used to the impossibility that the sky could break with rain. And I never got used to how far away he was. In just a few hours, I am to get on a bus. Another eight and I will be there. After months of occasional weekends and the privilege of five minute phone calls, we're going to spend an entire week together. But the voice on the phone is strange to me. Devoid of all of its excitement that it could barely contain just hours earlier. I'm getting on the bus, I say. I know how hard it's been, but I'll be there so soon. I hang up the phone and stare out at the mountains. I don't love you anymore. My face is burning. For the first time since I've come to the desert, I feel trapped and have nowhere to go. I walk to my room and in the darkness find my bed on the floor. I don't love you anymore. I lay there trying to understand these new words, a language that I do not speak. The darkness is the only thing preventing my body from falling apart. I wake to light streaming in through a crack in the shutter. It's a dream. I tell myself, but the body knows better and I push the shutter tight and crawl back onto the blankets. One, two, three, four hours paralyzed. Fear napping is a technique that I learned from a dear friend. When life is too much, too hard, when your brain is screaming and your body is ready to split apart, go to a room, prefer preferably cooler than the air outside. Make it as close to pitch as you possibly can and just be. Sleep if you can. Escape 
in the darkness. The world will be there when you get up, but for now your only task is to be there in the dark until the fear passes. But the thing about being human is that sometimes we need food, water. These small necessities force us to squint in the light of the sun. I call Anat. She knows him. A year or so earlier, by his request, she was our reluctant matchmaker. He doesn't love me, I say. The words scratching at my throat for the first time. Fucking Stuyot. And then just come to me. She is four hours north. I walk the desert path to the highway. A mirage of green sits between me and the concrete bus shelter. The exact place. I left him last, dressed to go back to his training base. I shake him out of my vision as best I can and sit on the hot metal seat. Blue button-down shirts, podcasts on Saturdays, head scratches, and all the love I can remember fill me. The bus arrives. I climb up the five or so steps, pay the driver, and make my way to find a seat. Mostly full, I find one about two-thirds back by a window and have to crawl in over a sleeping soldier, M16, rested casually between his spread legs. He bristles. Slicha, I say, excuse me. And I feel the cold tip of his gun brush against my skin. He doesn't look at me or say anything. I slip in and slump against the dusty window. The sky is clear. I don't love you anymore. My dry hands clutch the metal water bottle, hot from the sun, and I wonder, why wouldn't he look me in the eye? I feel his body beside me, the same green uniform I never quite got used to sitting beside. His eyes are closed. His tanned neck peeks out from under his collar, his sleeves rolled up as they all do, exposing his forearms. Cold metal is still casually rested between his red boots, now just centimeters from my skin. I close my eyes. I feel his right leg press into mine, the rough cotton of his uniform is familiar. The pressure on my thigh is slight but it's constant. Am I imagining this? He shifts his weight. Maybe he's just getting comfortable. But the pressure returns and is building. 
his leg pressing hard into mine now. Again, I am paralyzed. I don't love you anymore. With his eyes closed and now mine straight ahead, he reaches across him and begins to stroke the inside of my left arm. Who is this? Why is he touching me? This isn't my soldier. Mine is eight hours north. I know that. But maybe, maybe his hands, entitled in their misplaced claim on my body, will disarm this grenade that's been placed deep in my chest. Maybe if I squint, maybe I won't know the difference. I don't know how long I let him touch me. One minute, two, 30 seconds. But soon his hand stretches out further and lands on my belly. And I know this isn't John. I know these aren't his hands. This uniform is not enough. Ma'ata ose, I spit at him. What are you doing? He looks at me for the first and only time. And in English replies, I thought you wanted. I don't know how he knew. Okay, so you told the story at our May event, and this is actually the second story that you told, and as I like to think of it, a sort of sequel to the first story in a totally different genre. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. So the first story you had told before, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of came in with this already written version that you had workshopped a lot. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that first? Sure. Uh, I had been approached by a friend who runs a storytelling event here in Toronto um, that I will name. Graham Isidore, he's a great uh, theater artist and storyteller in Toronto, and he runs an event in Kensington every couple of months uh, under the banner of Press Gang, and um, he had asked me to tell a story at that event based on a really tiny anecdote that I had told him. And one of Graham's philosophies, um, I'll just tell the world yeah tell everyone <laughs> is is that if something embarrasses him it means he has to talk about it <laughs> and I had told him uh, a story that I had not told anyone basically before that I had felt was quite embarrassing yeah about um you know a sexual experience very early on after moving to the Middle East for a time and um, being involved with someone for the first time and getting bitten by a spider during that experience. 
Uh, and Graham was like, you need to tell that story. And I was like, there's no story. I was just bitten by a spider. And he was like, no, you need to tell that story. So it was the first time I went through the process of trying to figure out what the story was. Mm-hmm. There was you this knew thing this that one happened. Moment, yeah, yeah. But what was the story? Where, where, where did it start? Mm-hmm. What, did, what did people need to know for that to be interesting? What was it actually about? Because it wasn't really about getting bitten by a spider, although that was really the it's like only the reason line for that story. Yeah, it's the only reason people really want to hear about my love life. But um, that was the beginning, and then uh, you guys started this great event. And Stefan knew I had that story. And he really wanted to hear it, as I recall. He hadn't heard it at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I had told that story. And the other thing... So, I mean, I'm relatively new to storytelling, but one of the things that I've found is when I tell people that I've told stories publicly, they really want to hear them. Mm -hmm. And and it's a very different thing telling a story off the cuff. Yeah. Even if you know the story. I mean, of course you know the story. But it's a very different thing than when you've written it for for performance or you've written it stylistically and also just like the sequence like you wouldn't go into the same kind of detail you wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily go into the same texture and so it's a totally different thing and and because that punchline as right. you called it is like so in that sorry guys you're not listening to that story today it's okay um, if anyone wants to hear it <laughs> they can go back to uh, an old episode of the open Kwong door podcast that we will put in the show notes sweet um, that punchline is kind of, it's kind of a surprise and it's, it's intended to be a little bit shocking. I didn't expect it to be as shocking as it was the first time I told it, <laughs> but, um, it's like, you know, if I tell you the story, I've ruined the story for you. Right. So I, I refused to tell it to Stefan, Stefan public, like, <laughs> like one on one. Or something. Yeah. yeah. So he actually hadn't heard it. That's true. And I came, I came to tell it and, um, but your your question was about it it being kind of bookending, and that story was really um, like it took place in the first few months of me having moved away from Toronto for the first time and living on my own for the first time and getting to know who I was in that um, mm-hmm. kind of arena, and uh, was really much in some ways about like finding new people mm-hmm. and how I wanted to express myself in those relationships. And when I went to write a second story, I mean, mm-hmm. you guys do this great brunch workshopping yeah. system and I just wanted to come for breakfast. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's a great spread. Yeah. Is the thing it's that good spread. people need to know about brunch. It's a good spread. It's way cheaper than a movie. It's like, a yeah, good, yeah. A good weekend. That's the pitch. <laughs> Okay, so you had an anecdote that you turned into a story the first time, and you kind of went through this process, and you had a punchline that you were trying to hit. And then this time, how did you start? Because this story has a really, really different tone. Um, This time I started by trying to write a completely different story. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had the deadline of the brunch. Yeah. um, Which was great. Yeah. (laughs) Because I only had you know, a small amount of time. And I'd had this idea for something else completely unrelated, more to do with my family and where my dad grew up and my grandfather and um, some interplay between, you know, who those two men are in my life and were in my life. Mm -hmm. And I sat down to try and write it and I still haven't written it. Um, And I couldn't. Mm -hmm. It just really wasn't 
there was just nothing there at that moment. It really wasn't working. It was, it was, there's a sentence, there's, there's, there's this, this visual thought, there's yeah. this, you know, small, um, detail. There are these details, but I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't have the stuff to string them together. And, and then I just started thinking about the mountains, mm-hmm. these mountains that exist and were um, alongside the, the kibbutz, the community that I lived in, in the south of Israel. They're, they're called the Adom Mountains in Israel, which translates directly to the Red Mountains, which is what I think I call them in the story. And they basically run roughly the border between Jordan and Israel Okay. at that, that place in the country. And the way the sun hits them when it's setting, they just light up red. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most intensely beautiful things I've ever seen. And they were right there. And there were so many times where I would be sitting in the middle of this little um, area, even, of, of the community that we lived in that was a little bit more private. And, and I would feel so kind of intensely alone mm-hmm. with those mountains. And they're so huge. <laughs> anyway, so... So they were a character in your story. In like, some ways. Like, they were a presence. Memory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sense memory is big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just started writing. Yeah. And it was kind of just like that. And did it all come out at once? Like, was it the kind of thing where you sat down and you started and then you just kind of stopped typing? And you're like, I just wrote, and I'm really far from the mic. You're like, I just wrote an entire thing? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It did. Definitely the first draft came out mm-hmm. um, at once. And there was a lot that needed to be cut and probably still should have been cut more. But... Um, there was like this a story that needed to come out yeah like it was a closing yeah. for me in in a pretty big way mm-hmm. like I had I had um, not long after the story ends I come I come back to Toronto mm-hmm. right and during that story I had made the decision to come back to Toronto and that was a big part of that relationship ending mm-hmm. and so the writing process as much as it did come out all at once while I was writing, there was an interesting that happened. Interesting thing that happened for me, um, just because like relationships in my life, as they are for many people, it, but for me, I always feel like I do this exceptionally. They, they in the, my past, they would be all-consuming, mm-hmm. and this one was incredibly consuming. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the writing process of this story, as much as a good chunk of it is spent on on that last conversation and the moments after. It's more about my process than it is about him. Yeah, something that really strikes me about this compared to some other, for a second I'm going to classify it as a breakup story, even sure. though I don't totally think that's what it is, is that a lot of the time with breakup stories, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, like a lot of the time with breakup stories, the question is always like, why do you care about this other person and why should we care about this other person? And he's. Yeah. it seems like he's very much not a part of this story, but he doesn't need to be like, that's not what this is about at all. And so it's interesting hearing you like get, get into it and go through it of you surviving this moment. Kind of, you can tell that it's like your feelings are really visceral without it even being about this person that you've lost, which is hard (laughs) to do. Well, it's about loss, right? Like it is about loss. It's about what you're left with when you have loss Mm -hmm. and fear napping. It's huge. Yeah. Right. It's it's huge. It's it's so big. The 
the vacancy that doesn't even feel empty yet, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, it's like this whole process of trying to understand something that doesn't make any sense. Like I remember that breakup not making any sense to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. You're like blindsided and yeah, there's I mean, just no room in your brain for, for this kind of change. An hour earlier, it was get on the bus as quickly as you can. Yeah. And someone makes a decision, right? And, yeah. and a trap door shuts and, yeah. and that's the end. Yeah. And suddenly you're left in this entirely new reality. And what do you do? Right. Everything is different. You know, where do you go? Yeah. And I happen to be in this interesting geographical place where there's so much open space. um, But it's such a small community. Mm -hmm. And I had been spending the last, you know. That's not your world. Two weeks at least, like being crazy excited about leaving and bragging to everybody that I was yeah. going to be going away. I was petrified of walking into the dining room in the morning. Right. Like I was absolutely petrified of anyone seeing my face. So there's like a billboard on you. And I would... My plans changed. Yeah. Yeah. And like, would I even be capable of talking to anyone? Yeah. I felt completely incapable of talking to anyone. Hence the fear napping. Right. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you got on the bus... And so, so it sounds like since you were intending to write something completely different, that like the way that this story goes as a, as a composition, obviously, like, because it's your life, this is just the way that your life went. But the way that this story goes as a composition, what happens on the bus with the soldier becomes a really big part of it and is a big part of it. But um, how, how did you feel while writing that when you're deciding kind of how, like, I love the way that I love, that's a terrible expression for this, but like, I love it. I love the way that it starts when you're like, is this just my imagination? Because that is how these moments start really a lot of the time for all kinds of reasons. And so you start there and then it kind of takes a turn. Um, And since you weren't originally intending to write about this, like how did you find that process of drawing it out? And, and I guess, maybe trying to be as honest as possible or not, or trace that feeling. There's a similar feeling kind of in the first half of the story that right. I, I can, I'm still having in that second half mm-hmm. in, in the idea that this isn't real. Right. 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 And so again, I don't know my reality. Yeah. And so part of that is, is about like if something that I believed in so strongly is suddenly so not true, Mm-hmm. Can I trust my judgment about anything? Right. And and then, you know, there are all these other ways that just, like, being a woman trains yeah. us yeah. to respond to things. And so, first of all, you know, not insulting someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, not calling them out for something that, I don't know, makes you look crazy or... Right? Like, there are all these ways where you're not supposed to make a scene. Mm -hmm. I I tend to be averse to making scenes in that way. We all have, I mean, we all have survival mechanisms, but part of me surviving as a woman has been learning to, um, like, minimize or or direct negative energy or weird energy coming from men. Mm -hmm. And you channel it, Mm -hmm. and you try and channel it you know, instead of blocking it because it's strong or it's angry or it's just fucking weird yeah. and you don't know how that's going to go, you channel it and you try and channel it in a way 
that is going to be less damaging to hopefully everyone or less uncomfortable. You just want to get to the other side of whatever's going to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, a small amount of that is like letting stuff actually go for a little bit Mm -hmm. or like seeing where it goes Mm -hmm. and, and, and figuring it in that moment. I was so fucked up in so many ways. Like I was so emotionally full and empty, but like, in this really weird place where it, it was almost like I didn't even have the energy yeah, to totally. deal with it. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I would imagine that you, cause the first half is about how, how devastated you are and you're in this place and then you're like, okay, great. Like, do I have, do I have it in me to explore that again? Like I'm, is it going to get worse? You know, like you're sitting there and you're already upset. And I I remember being just floored by the timing. Yeah. Like I remember sitting there in disbelief going, how? Yeah. How did he know? Right. Which is how you end. Because <laughs> like, like how is this happening right now? Because that just happened right then. Mm-hmm. And now this is happening right now. And he must have known. Right. Like there must have been something, something that I think this is part of the idea that I was trying to trace or trying to like that. I'd never quit quite articulated Mm -hmm. because this was also a story that I really didn't tell anyone for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways because I didn't really know what I thought about it. I didn't really know what I considered it. It was yeah. like some kind of infringement upon me. Right. But I didn't Have classify name. it as anything. Yeah. It wasn't like this was sexual, you know, right. assault or yeah. anything like that. Um, it was just, it was unwanted touching. Mm-hmm. But then there are all these ways that our, our narratives play into that. And yeah, definitely. And I was so hyper aware of how needy I felt. Yeah. In that moment that there's this really strange thing that happens where if he, if he could read on me mm-hmm. that I was vulnerable. Right. That I, if he could read something that, that I'm like now misinterpreting as me wanting that touch, it's like, yeah. no. No. No, that's not what I wanted. Right. But you but, have to trace that in your own mind I've, because I think you're right. Like as women, we are taught this. This is the whole narrative around this kind of stuff that like, well, what did she do? And even in situations like this where you don't know what to call it, you still like we're trained to ask that question. Like, how did I get myself into this situation and what was I putting out there? And then why was it happening? Because it couldn't have just been that this guy was someone who was going to do this or who was looking for an opportunity like that explanation can't possibly be the explanation. Yeah. I think we learn that. I think we learn it too. I think, uh, I mean, what's messy about it is that I think part of the other reason why I didn't tell it and in the process of writing it and, and, and reading it to other people, a few of the reactions have come back, um, around like discomfort for Mm -hmm. sure around, um, people being afraid that others will interpret, uh, the story and, and my point of view as somehow, like validating this man's actions mm-hmm. um, and and that I leave it I mean I think I'm clear I think I'm clear mm-hmm. but um, 
part of the way I chose to try and write the story was was not explaining, mm-hmm. not not um, dissecting, yeah, kind of what happened from this analytical approach. Like I wanted to give people or even myself, just an understanding of what happened from that perspective. Yeah, and you how, in that moment. Yeah, and how those multiple things are happening in the same space mm-hmm. and what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and Because so that, this, the first half of it is so important for, I mean, that's what, it's not like this is a story that's about assault. It's like this is a story about so many things and the first half of it is just as important as the second half. But I think it's easy to hear the second half and then what you're talking about which is like write your own version of how we're allowed to tell that story onto it yeah and that and that um there's something in in that that like as because i've also been trained part of my training is to like identify as an independent strong woman Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and and to practice that yeah and as that we're not allowed to want to be touched by strangers either so like even in the in the in the process of opening myself up to telling it, mm-hmm. it's like, are people going to judge me right. for even entertaining the idea yeah. that this might have felt good? Yeah. Because I do entertain that idea at right. one point, right? Like it's happening. I'm in this situation and, mm-hmm. and there's so much emptiness that there's this, there's this feeling of maybe that can be filled. Right. Even by this disgusting person yeah. who I don't know. Even while part of me knows that, like... I know which, how which fucked is up this is. The thing that you're entertaining with the uniform and the... Yeah. And you're like, I know it's not, but what if? And there's so much of it that is so familiar. And so much... Like, I think what's interesting about that for me, and I don't know if this comes across or not, but, I mean, I was living, I was living in Israel, and so much about living in that space was very foreign to me mm-hmm. like a lot of my life there felt um foreign mm-hmm. and so for that uniform to become familiar mm-hmm. it was in many ways really perverse yeah but you hold on to small things yeah it's like a touchdown in those kinds of places and it w- it had become it was i mean it's an icon of a lot of things in that in that time in my life, it was an it became like an emblem and an icon of this person, mm-hmm. um, a symbol of this person. And so, you know, here's this stand-in suddenly beside yeah. me, um, and recon- reconciling those things was emotionally more complicated than I had expected it to be. Yeah. And the process of of telling the story, um, like I think part of the reason I didn't tell it for so long was because I had a lot of, there was a lot of shame Mm -hmm. even wrapped up in in the feelings I was having. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that, that stories like this, stories that are, stories that are more, told by women or not told by women I'm just, just as a blanket statement I'm thinking about the conversation I had with Aaron as well which was about abortion which are which is a totally different topic but there's like we have these ideas about sexual assault if we call it that or don't call it that and we have these ideas about abortion and we have these ideas about women and sex in general that like there's one acceptable way to tell this story and if you can't like 
if, if that acceptable way of telling the story isn't aligning with whatever's happening in your head, I think we get a ton of dissonance and it's really hard. And that's what I think is so important about actually telling these stories and like making space for that, even if some people think that you're creating the problem, possibly. I think it's like, it, it gives room for other people to realize that whatever they've been through or whatever they've experienced, like that dissonance is the thing that's normal about this. Like those, those cultural narratives that we hear about whatever, how you're supposed to feel or how you're supposed to say no or whatever it is that you're supposed to do. Like that's not what people do. Well, of and course also it's not. that like, I guess part of it is like what this man did obviously was wrong, mm-hmm. but I could also be fully within my rights and it would be entirely reasonable of me if I had chose that that was something I wanted from a stranger right. at that time, you know? Right. But like that, even entertaining that possibility mm-hmm. was something that elicited so much shame yeah. in me. It's like, we're not allowed right. to do that. Right. And it's like, and and decoupling that from the thing that is a conversation about like affirmative consent, which is the second piece of it. Like it's, there's, there's your engagement of perhaps, perhaps in an alternate universe, wanting to have a physical connection with the person beside you on a bus. And like the expectation that if that person wants to initiate it, that like they should be asking. These are actually totally separate, but they don't feel separate. Well, and they, and they, they aren't separate in that they happen in the same moment. Yeah. Right? And and that these things don't come at us in these discrete boxes where we can intellectualize them. Yeah. And, you know, because I'm intellectualizing it when I say, like, well, I should be fully within my rights. It doesn't, you know, I yeah. can be a, a woman and want that or a person and want that yeah. without being slutty, without being, like, any of those negative pejorative terms that we use to shame people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then go... But wait, I still didn't want that. Right. Like, I recognize... This isn't a thought exercise. This is my life. Yeah. and yeah. But at the same time, recognizing that that thought exercise is is part of me recognizing why my feelings, where that dissonance comes from. Mm-hmm. That, that that training um, is such a big part of my emotional reaction mm-hmm. to these pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of me just being able to be like, no screw you right get off of me yeah i'm going oh why do i feel shame about you know yeah. the possibility that like part of this feels nice because i was just rejected so awfully by the person i wanted to spend the rest of my life with yeah you know yeah and that there was potentially that there could have been a feeling of comfort there is like i mean i want to stab that thought yeah (laughs) it's it feels so wrong yeah yeah how did you find then like had you given this much space kind of before you were writing it out was writing it out the first time that you decided to tackle it head-on ish adjacently like do you feel like this is something that you had kind of gotten through I think I had told one friend Mm -hmm. this story before writing it wow um and it definitely didn't have that kind of level of analysis attached to it. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, you know, the, the really shitty thing that had happened like minute, you know, within like hours within the day mm-hmm. as I was leaving, you know, that space trying yeah. to, to wrap myself up and pull myself together. This thing happened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at that point, she was just like, fuck. 
Yeah. And and that was an interesting thing because I at that point I don't think I had even um, come to a realization that it was a really mm-hmm. heavy thing. Yeah. Like that it that it was sexual harassment or that it was like I like I kn- I know it's sexual harassment, but I hadn't right. really even no. conceived of it that way. Yeah. It was just a shitty thing that had happened. Yeah. And it was when she looked at me and and with this kind of confirmation of how mm-hmm. completely messed up it was mm-hmm. um, that I went that oh. it kind of hit me with the gravity. Yeah. Yeah. And that I started to see. Um, kind of these I started to see it kind of as a foil to the breakup right that like these they they were these two moments that couldn't be untied for me anymore yeah definitely understandably yeah yeah and then you wrote it out and then I wrote it out and then I wrote it out and um read it at brunch yeah and, and it was pretty. I mean, I know you. I know you did editing. I don't mean to undermine that, but like it was pretty similar because I, this is one of those pieces that really just like sometimes you hit a stride. To put it, I don't know. Yeah, like it's fun. Sometimes you hit a stride and you just roll with it, and these you ride a feeling kind of. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that. That's what happened because I know you came and we were all like, none of us have anything that is ready to go, and you are ready to go. Um, do you think you learn anything from from the act of writing? I mean, I know obviously there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. Yeah, I do. I do this thing where I don't like. I tend not to define process. Like I haven't always defined process well enough in my life, mm. and so it's very intuitive and yeah. and very like trial and error for me. Yeah. Um. And. So I knew when I performed the story at the event that yeah. it didn't feel finished to me, that there was like another level or there was like mm-hmm. something in the writing that still wasn't. Yeah. Didn't it was, no, you know what it is? It's like that piece where we, I've talked, I've talked to you guys about this a little bit, I think like around the concept of stories we don't tell, mm-hmm. right? Like it's such a great concept. Um, but one of the questions I've asked kind of around it is at what point is something therapy and is what point is something art or is yeah. what point is it writing or right. you know, work? Yeah, it's an important question. And so I think for me, there was still an element of me like just working my shit out a mm-hmm. little bit that I recognize and yeah. then other people might be like, yeah, it's fine. It's a little emotional here or yeah. there, but that where I, I go like th- this detail is, is more about, yeah, you know, my process or me sitting in an emotion mm-hmm. than it actually about helping people reach a, reach a place of understanding or, mm-hmm. or coming with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that's part of the process it, that, so that, that writing process, it stayed fairly, I mean, the, the, it's it's fairly similar to what I wrote and to what has been recorded, mm-hmm. um, but there's an element of just stripping some of it away that yeah. I think has to happen with with me and that in you my process. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I had one more question that I wanted to ask that was specific. Oh right, and then how we were in a strange space that night actually. How did you feel reading it out in front of a room of strangers? as the next step from having told one person to then telling a room of people that you knew, I think you knew everyone at brunch that day yeah. somewhat to like that crowd was that night was like the first night 
to me where I think I didn't like there were more people there than I didn't know than people that I did know yeah and it was a long space it was a long space it was a um kind of concave yeah oh and we had a stage there was a stage and there was a bit of an empty circle in the middle yeah it was like a horseshoe it was a horseshoe shape for sure um I mean what's interesting about these things is and I mean you guys are all really good at it being being um being there for each other Mm-hmm. Like there's this little core group that gets created, and by virtue of having been at the, um, been you know present during some of that workshop process, mm-hmm. and so I think the thing that can happen is you can kind of just lock in to someone yeah. a little bit, yeah, and you know you know you're telling it to the room, right? But you kind of lock into one person yeah. and, or two, and and go with that and trust that, and I mean I. I, I was telling you earlier that it's we listened to it just before ha- starting this conversation, and that whole process is weird for me, not because of the sound of my voice, but because I recognize, um, I recognize like my reading style, that I'm not trusting the writing yet, mm-hmm. and that that that's that was part of that process for me is that I kind of still get up and and just kind of have to do it yeah um but that i'm not quite trusting the writing yet mm-hmm. and the beauty of this process is that you can create something i think where the writing stands on its own and you don't have to push the emotion and you don't have to push mm-hmm. um the sense of feeling yeah in theory you can get there in theory you can get there but there 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 are definitely two parts of it right when yeah. it comes to storytelling in that way because you're going through this whole writing process yeah and that's one thing but you're also a performer and you're also going to be performing it for people and if you're not you know ready with with one side of it Mm -hmm. there there are going to be there are those two things to handle yeah um and so it's interesting with with the recording aspect of it that you get to kind of check in on where you were at and have this reflective moment yeah okay that I'm glad I did it. That was a great experience. Uh, but I wasn't quite trusting it yet, you know? <laughs> Here's me recognizing where I could be a little bit better if I want to be. Yeah, or like... To my own standards. Yeah, understanding just like where you were. Yeah. With yeah. it. And I think it's totally valid to tell stories at different stages of yeah. process also, right? Yeah. Um, That's something I find with doing it every month is it's just like some months you are more happy with where it's at than other months and you just do it because that's what, that's what we're doing and that's how life works. Like if we all waited until we were 100% happy with a creative work that we were doing, like nothing would ever get created. So exactly, that's fine. Yeah. It's just it. And, and there's something special that happens in that room. Mm-hmm that I'm sorry listeners can't happen on a, a podcast in the same way yeah or like can but it's just not the same thing no people can hear that story they will have just heard people can hear your other story on an episode of the open Kwang door podcast that yeah. we will link to mm-hmm. if they want to hear a totally different genre of Tara Pearson with a punchline with a punchline uh, that, I, that I already ruined yeah it's okay you'll still you'll still appreciate it you'll still appreciate it listener um, where else can people find you? Can people find you on Twitter? People yes. can find me on Twitter, uh, although I'm never there. No. I'm there like sporadically when I get really angry about stuff. I'm yeah. suddenly there and you'll That's hear what from Twitter's me. That's for. Um, at Tara Marina. Okay. 
and uh, yeah, I'm there at Tower Marina. Thanks for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell is brought to you by Loud Motorcycles, also known as Crotch Rockets. By Crotch Rockets. By Crotch Rockets. Thanks to Rihanna for the theme music. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rihanna.ca. Mind.